Well, good morning. It is great to be with you this morning. Um, if you have opportunity or if you are at ease, would you please stand for the reading of the word? This morning we will be in Matthew chapter 22, starting with verse 15. Hear the word of the Lord. Then the Pharisees met together to find a way to trap Jesus in his words. They sent their disciples, along with the supporters of Herod, to him. Teacher, they said, we know that you are genuine and that you teach God's way as it really is. We know that you are not swayed by people's opinions because you don't show favoritism. So tell us what you think. Does the law allow people to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Knowing their evil motives, Jesus replied, Why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used to pay the tax. And they brought him a denarian. Whose image and inscription is this, he asked. Caesar's, they replied. Then he said, Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and to God what belongs to God. When they heard this, they were astonished and they departed. This is the word of God get written for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So I would like to introduce you to a young man by the name of Ben. And Ben is a really respected young man who's been taught from his parents all that he needed to know to be true according to them and the teachings of his respected leaders and teachers. He's attended all of his classes and he follows all the latest updates on social media. One day, Ben had seen a very large crowd gathering alongside the roadway, like a majestic parade of fanfare of some sort. The excitement of people cheering and shouting, creating some curiosity over this one particular man. He spent the rest of the day walking in the streets, just kind of looking around, and he kept hearing all these different wonderful things that had taken place earlier while he was going through the farmer's market. The next day, he headed into church and to find chaos and confusion outside over this same man that he saw earlier. Thought it would be better to go on inside to those who might know something, get out of the way. And he finds his teachers nervous and anxious and a bit annoyed. Upon inquiring, he realizes they are upset about the things that had witnessed over the course of the last couple of days. Now he's really curious. Ben is a trainee, a learner of his church. He pays close attention to them, and he listens closely. He hears them questioning the status of this particular person that he has already seen twice. And the man doesn't answer their inquiries directly, but with a question of his own. The teachers and leaders are so upset they came together for a meeting. Now, obviously, you guys know that Ben is a fictional character overseeing the days we read about over the last few weeks. You know, how do you think Ben is feeling right now? Hearing his leaders and these teachers conspire against this man, a.k.a. Jesus of Nazareth. Let's put ourselves into Ben's place as we continue on in the story, following our scripture that we were reading. The Pharisees, the teachers, and the leaders decided to have their disciples go alongside with some others to entrap Jesus in his words. This is a lose-lose situation, 
I don't know, but my heart skips a bit beat as they prepare to encounter Jesus. And we all ponder, what is Jesus going to do? Will he resist when they entrap him? What will he say? Will he give in? We listen closely as the one disciple that has been so lucky and fortunate to present the question in verse 16. We know that you are genuine and that you teach God's way as it really is. We know that you are not swayed by people's opinions because you don't show favoritism. Well, that's quite a smooth talker, right? Speaking of Jesus with integrity and truthfulness and honor, it's kind of a little bit naughty as well, making use of this insincere praise. But could it be possibly a true observance? Their question is short and to the point, though. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? Our attention and eagerness wait for a response. How many bins are out there watching and listening? And Jesus responds, Why do you test me, you hypocrites? Ouch. I don't know. Am I the hypocrite? There are three things that I have heard you should never talk about. And I know several of you out there have shared the same thing about what you grew up never to talk about. What are those three things? Religion, politics, or money. Did you just read the text that I did here a few minutes ago? You know, the word of God is saturated with all three of those very topics. And we cannot deny them or skip the text that we would like to avoid, believe me, I have tried all week to uh, take a different look at this, but here's what I was reminded of throughout the week. God is sovereign. The entire creation belongs to him. Therefore, God cares. That includes the things we find ourselves uncomfortable with and the issues that divide us, but they don't have to. This is not a division where one takes the place of another, but where one finds its true identity within the kingdom of God. I'll repeat that. Where one finds its true identity within the kingdom of God. The Pharisees, they could not see that. Going back to chapter 21, they witnessed Jesus having the respect and the fanfare of many people honoring him as he entered into Jerusalem. They witnessed Jesus coming into the temple and turning tables. What kind of authority do you have for doing these things? Who gave you this authority? Jesus replied back with a question of his own. Who gave John the authority to baptize? Issues perhaps feeling really divided here. Their own identity feeling threatened. Question Jesus' authority? Yeah, they did. The tables are turned now, metaphorically, this time. Matthew, our writer, has wanted to bring clarity and understanding to the Jewish readers, especially these last three parables that we have read over the last few weeks, that the power of God was bringing the kingdom of heaven through his son Jesus. And here we are, the final week of Jesus' ministry during the Passover, who will be crucified? As we know, spoiler alert. Jesus has spoken for them to see 
to grasp, to challenge them through parable after parable. The parable of the two sons, illustrating their disobedience and unbelief, to where even those in questionable positions would receive and understand the message of the kingdom. He brings even a harder and more gruesome parable for them to hear of the tenants, the workers in the vineyard, the Jews themselves, would fail in bringing what they were asked and killing the son, a.k.a. Jesus, to only discover that the kingdom is the salvation that Christ brings, not Israel. And the third parable of those invited to a wedding that we read last week that chose to not show up would lose out on their salvation, on the invitation they had been invited and were choosing to not participate in the kingdom. It was here that the Pharisees realized that just perhaps the loss of authority Jesus was referring to was themselves. You have been invited, but few of you are chosen. This back-and-forth game from the leaders to Jesus, like watching a ping-pong match with Jesus having a tennis racket for a paddle, of course, right? The sneakiness of their leadership trying to come across, match Jesus and catch him in the net. But it won't be till the end of chapter 28, if you continue on through the book of Matthew, that you will find out that the answer to whose authority he recalls. These parables, Jesus has set up a stage, if you will, for ushering in the kingdom of heaven, challenging them to see the vast differences in true authority. But at this point, the Pharisees were beyond miffed. They were upset, threatened at this man's exposure to the commoners and the amount of support he was receiving. You can just imagine the statements from the Pharisees after hearing Jesus' last statement. How dare this man indicate we're not good enough to be chosen by God? We are, after all, followers of God, written law, the best in understanding. So what do they do? They meet up to conspire against him, more specifically to trap him in his words. They questioned his theological and practical stances with what he did and said. Matthew reveals their intentions in verse 15. The Pharisees laid plans out to trap him in his words. Not only did they want to set this trap, but they dare not do it themselves. They sent out their disciples, which provided two things in their court, okay, by sending the disciples out. They would look less like tempters and more like learners, who later could also be a witnesses for the trial, along with them supporters of Herod. Your version may say Herodians. Herodians, according, according to some scholars, are believed to have been Jewish-Roman collaborators, those who could counterbalance the overall agenda, those who made it their business to reconcile people to that government. Either case, extras, other than themselves to test the words of Jesus. They were so willing to join forces with the enemy, the other side, those they had conflict with, along with their own disciples who were learning to deal with what they themselves did not want to do themselves. 
Facebook would have been so much easier for these guys if they had done that. Two opposite sides of the equation. Two groups with differing thoughts and opinions coming together to entrap a man. For what? To gain approval, status, to prove who is right better than the other, to gain access and power over the people? This approach that they were planning on doing was very thought out. They met together. They took counsel. They had their learning of the law on their side. What could go wrong? But by all means, let's challenge his authority publicly, not privately. So who knows how many stood alongside hearing them speak. Maybe it was broadcasted on YouTube or channel or definitely spoken about on TikTok. You know, surely it was not quietly done in a whisper. And perhaps there was a bin in the audience. They were still in the temple, crowds and a public space for all to hear of this misuse of words by Jesus. Coincidence? No. If others heard him speak wrongly, they could win favor and have a reasonable excuse to arrest him and prosecute him. At the very least, to catch him in blasphemy against God. That would be sufficient, wouldn't it? Their question is short and to the point in verse 17. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? Now, a little bit, there is a, a this is a pay-per-person tax, if you will, a census tax on every male and every female from the age of 45 to 65, paid to the Roman government. This was a day's wage, not a half penny that was spoken about earlier in chapter 17. It was a flat tax, and it amounted to a denarius, which was approximately about a day's wage for the common laborer. And it was this poll tax that was the subject of the question put to Jesus by the Pharisees and the Herodians. Not only were they taxed this additional amount, but it had to be paid with special Roman money. So the dilemma for Jesus is this. If he answers yes, then he could be perceived in conclusion with Rome justifying Roman occupation and oppression of the Jews. The Romans had just come through a tax revolt. According to scholars, Judas of Galilee encouraged his followers not to pay taxes and to defy the Roman authorities. On the other hand, if Jesus answers no, he could be suspected of revolutionary sentiment against Rome. But Jesus says, Show me the coin to pay this tax. Why is it so important to see, to have Jesus see and have them turn the coin? The coin had the image of Caesar. The image on the back would be considered an idol to the Jews, which goes back to Exodus 20, second command. Do not make an idol for yourself. Do not bow down to them or worship them. The image on that coin also indicated Caesar's authority. The Romans demanded their tribute in their money, therefore calling it the tribute money, stamped with the emperor's image and writing of the value on the front of it. Jesus gives a reason before he gives a resolution. Here's a Jesus tip if you want to write this one down, something to learn from Jesus here. 
Give your reasons before the resolution, for the evidence of truth may silence those who challenge you, because they only wait for the reasons against the truth. Verse 20, whose image and inscription is this? They own the truth. It is Caesar's. Then render, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's. The Greek word translated render or give often carries a sense of giving something back to whom it belongs. So the coin was given out by Rome, so give it back to Rome. Now Jesus could have stopped here, and that would have been all that was needed to confound the Pharisees and the Herodians alike. The Herodians could not have brought a charge of argument against Jesus. It was proven that it belonged to the Romans. And as for the Pharisees, Jesus had just handed them the very thing they needed in order to pay the poll tax with a clear conscience. The denarius was not theirs in the first place. It was Caesar's, so it wasn't an idol for them. To give the denarius to Caesar was simply to give him what was already his. And this could have been the end of it. But Jesus, as Jesus always is, did not stop there. He added this infamous words, give to God what belongs to God. Give to God the things that are God's. At that point, the tables are fully turned on both the Herodians and the Pharisees. Why? Well, it's fine to give a denarius to Caesar because it bears his image. It didn't belong to them. It's a mere coin, valued by the ones giving it out, yes. Having value in what it does, yes. Respect it and use it well, yes. But for that reason, it belongs to him. So the question comes, what does one give to God? What belongs to God? Well, what belongs to God is that which bears God's image. But what bears God's image? You can go back to the very first chapter in Genesis, chapter 1. Let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness. And the scripture goes on to state, so God created man in his image. We are like the coins. We are the image of God's kingdom. If we are commanded to give to God the things that are God's, then we must conclude. We owe God our whole being, for we are created in his image. The Pharisees would, should, have not have missed that. What Jesus was really saying to them. Ben, our questioning disciple, hears this. And perhaps others standing and listening, and maybe even a Jewish Roman, who knows, right? They're listening to what is being said. Jesus had been hammering them for days, for exactly this moment, to recognize and stir that these legal experts and Pharisees could and would miss the kingdom of God. Give to God what belongs to God. The stage had been set by Jesus for ushering in the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, challenging them and us today 
that it is only by following a deep relationship with God, faith, prayer, and faithfulness and kindness that will lead us into the breaking of the kingdom. We are the workers in the vineyard that don't refuse to give God the fruit. We are God's sons and daughters. Serve him. Don't refuse him. We are the sons and daughters of God's kingdom that were invited to the wedding. Don't refuse the invitation by Jesus. The ushering in of God's kingdom is here. And as children in God's kingdom, we are called to be ambassadors of Christ to this world. We are in the world, but not of it, right? We hear that. We cannot always live or divide our lives into two separate spheres, though. Secular, sacred, material, spiritual. And Jesus recognizes this. In the book, Charitable Discourse, by Dan Boone, he writes, We are dual citizens in time and space. Our first and primary place of belonging is the kingdom of God. This is the realm where God is at work making all things new. We are called to constant alignment with the ways of this God. We are also to live in the cultures of the kingdom of this world. The kingdom of God is sovereign, and we need to be reminded there are obligations to the bigger part of society and government that we should respect and play a part of. God cares for all of it. The things that divide us in this realm should only be the things that are not part of the kingdom of God. Evil, hate, injustice, enemy-making. So see, talking about those things we might have been told not to speak of, maybe don't want to preach on even, are the very things that God is a part of. You and I were made in God's image. And Jesus is calling us to give to God what is God's. Jesus' words in today's gospel come down to this. To what degree, in what ways, are you and I giving to God? Bearing the image and portraying ourselves with God in this world. Worship team, you can come up. Scripture, if you were to read further down in 22... Starting in verse 37. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. You must love your neighbor as you love yourself. All the law and prophets depend on these two commands. We can offer different thoughts and opinions and different names, even on the outside of our churches and our different buildings. We can have different national leaders if we first remember, as read in Psalm 96 earlier, declare God's glory among the nations. Declare his wondrous works among all people. Live righteously and give all to God.